Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 79. Guess what? It's a great big world out there, and you don't have to be scared, because it's all yours for the taking, I know. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to ask the question, whose permission are you waiting for? If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out my blog at williamdparker.com for other podcast episodes and posts. If you'd like to subscribe for free weekly updates, I'll send you an ebook called Eight Hats, Essential Rules for School Leaders. Or if you want to check out my books, Principal Matters or Messaging Matters, you can do so at my website or at amazon.com. You know, last week I heard a fantastic presentation by Will Richardson, who is both an author and a former educator. He was sharing stories about new ways that students are interacting with learning today. You know, for instance, he talked about a seven-year-old boy who has started his own science podcast, or a young man from India who is beta-testing self-protecting shock shoes for women who are afraid of assailants, or he showed photos of students who are building tree houses, safe tree houses, in their school cafeterias to replace traditional furniture. The common thread among all of these stories is the new ways that students can learn today their abilities to find information or access resources or to see examples that can feed or inform their passions. We are living in a new world of learning where students constantly can be creating, designing, connecting, and producing, not just in school, but outside of school. And so Richardson asked us to rethink three areas as we're considering this new world of learning that's available for students in this new generation. And he challenged those of us listening to his presentation to consider three areas to rethink. Beliefs, contexts, and practices. How does this new world of learning affect our beliefs? For instance, we have to be rethinking what do we believe is effective learning? How can we move away from simple traditions of learning and make student-driven learning not just something that happens through an elective or, or an encore period, but can be designed for an entire school day? Or how does this affect our contexts? Richardson showed that more students today are actively disengaged rather than engaged in learning. And technology can often place them in echo chambers. I liked that quote. Places where they're only accessing information from others with whom they share common interests. So we also have to rethink how we can help students engage in learning that is truthful, discerning, and meaningful. How can we create the best context for learning? But he also asked, how do we change our practices as a result of this? So how do we become skill-centered rather than just content-centered? How can we move towards mastery, not just an ever-increasing world where students can memorize information that they can just as easily access through a Google search. So as I was listening to this conversation, um, I wanted to share some of those same questions with you. 
But it also reminded me of some ways that I've seen this applied in my own practice and in, with students with whom I've worked for. Let me share a quick story of a student that I had in my school whose name is Jesse Haynes, who's now studying at the University of Tulsa. Jesse is a college communications major, and one of his professors allowed him last year to begin podcasting as an independent study. And last year, he launched a podcast called The Others. It was a fictional narrative of a man stranded on a tropical island. And by his seventh episode, Jesse had hit over one million downloads. Now, Jesse did not wait for his college degree to pursue his passions or to reach a million listeners with his content and his creativity. Instead, he is an example of students in this new world of learning, where he has learned to combine this degree he's pursuing with a passion that he already has. And so he's already practicing and applying the skills now that he's hoping to apply for his career later. These examples point us to an important question that we should be considering in our own educational and professional growth. So as school leaders, I want to ask you this question today. Whose permission do you need to produce, create, design, or share your ideas? We live in a new reality, and we're no longer just relying on traditional classes or internships to learn new skills or to share ideas or to begin businesses or to launch products. So how does this new reality not only change the way students are learning, but how does it also change the way that educational leaders practice? Before I jump into some examples of how I think that can affect practices in schools, let me just give you an example from my own life. Five years ago, after I was named Oklahoma's Assistant Principal of the Year, I had been asked to present at graduate classes or workshops with aspiring school leaders. And I realized that I had learned a lot of valuable lessons in my years as a school admin that I could share with others. And so the question began to formulate in my own mind, how could I have more opportunities to be training and teaching and sharing with school leaders? Now, I knew one path for doing this was the traditional route of pursuing a doctoral study in education. It could help establish my own credibility as an expert in my field. Maybe someday I could teach at the university level, but I, I went a different direction. I looked at the, the landscape that we are presently in with technology and I looked at my own time limits and my own limits on money and accessibility and I decided to go a different route uh, and this is this may not be a route that works for everyone but for me it worked because I decided to begin blogging um, by sharing content online on a regular basis I was able to catalog the lessons that I was learning consistently I was sharing these ideas with school leaders while also practicing them in my own school and fast forward five years later, and I have since that time published my first book. I've started a podcast. I have a second book that was published this month with Solution Tree Press. And all of this content creation, of course, opened many doors for me to speak to school leaders here in my own state and across the country. And my point is this. I did not have to wait for someone's permission to begin learning, growing, and sharing the ideas that I thought were important. So... How, do, how does this world of learning for students or this world of possibilities for us in our professions as educational leaders, how does this matter for school leadership? You know, as I'm visiting with school leaders across my state and across the country, I hear many 
many people share, their disappointment or their anger or their disillusionment at the public's perceptions of our schools, especially public schools. We live in a time when our public schools are under constant assault, whether it is the portrayal of them as failing institutions or the lack of funding that schools receive. Principals especially face challenges on two fronts. One, by the mission of trying to create the best environment for learning, running wonderful schools, while two, trying to advocate for why these schools need to be supported. And so there's this constant tension that school leaders have of, I'm trying to to create this great place for learning, but I'm also trying to convince other people why we need support to continue to fund schools that help our community students. So in light of all of these conversations that I'm hearing about producing and designing and learning and growing, here's my question for you. Whose permission are you waiting for to take back the narrative about the importance of your school? And so today I want to just touch on three three ways, just three takeaways, and there's so many more I could share, but, you know, three things that you could be doing right now, this school year, to be taking back the narrative, to not wait for someone's permission to own the conversation about what's happening in your school. We've never lived in a time when we have access to so many options for sharing or publishing or illustrating or highlighting the good work happening in our schools. So here are three examples of things I believe you could be doing right now to be sharing about your school. Number one, start a weekly school newsletter. You probably already have talented teachers or groups of students in your building who can help you Every week, collect great photos or images or stories about learning activities or competitions or things that are happening throughout your school that others would benefit knowing about. So let me encourage you to set a schedule for sharing these out. I like to encourage principals to think about one time every single week where you can compile all that information into something that you can share, whether that's through a Microsoft publisher or whether that's a simple Word doc template or starting your own school blog, set a time each week to share a link with parents and your community members. For my school, we shared a summary every week on Friday afternoons. It's a great way for parents and community members to hear specific examples of positive learnings happening in your school. Number two, whether it's through Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, use social media. Choose a platform where you can be posting pictures and reminders and updates for parents. You know, last year we even paid to boost a Facebook post that we wanted to share outside of our community. I have a great friend, Aspasia Carlson from John Marshall High School in Oklahoma City, who is a great example of how to use Twitter to showcase your school. And it's no coincidence that she has amazing support from local foundations who enjoy supporting the great things happening in her schools because she's highlighting them every single day via Twitter. So number two, use social media to your advantage. And number three, share stories with your local newspaper or other media outlets. You know, whether it's print media or television, these media sources are constantly looking for ways to engage their audiences, increase their traffic to their websites, or capture new subscribers. And you can help them by doing this, by sharing with them lots of the great images and stories happening from your school. 
And to your advantage, um, they can showcase those things happening at your school. So don't wait to be asked for a good story. Discover who are the best contacts for your local media outlets and begin emailing them those updates, the same ones that you send your parents or the same ones that you're putting through social media. They may not publish everything you send them, but when they do pick up on a story from your school, then the reach of your school has just expanded to all of these members as well. And last, I would say this. Engage your students in ways to broadcast about your school. You know, last year we had student leaders who created their own Twitter hashtags for events at the school, made videos to share in front of student assemblies, broadcasted live stream from games or competitions. Students are smart and they're so creative, so use their talents to expand the ways that your schools are communicating. Last year, for example, when I visited my state capital to talk to state legislators about the need to increase school funding, I did not travel alone. I took a small team of students with me. These lawmakers were happy to meet them. They were happy to talk to them about the processes involved in government. And plus, we were able to share out photos from the visit with social media and through our newsletter and to our local media. And so when you're thinking about ways to engage your community to change the conversation, consider those three things. Start a school newsletter, use social media, share stories with your local media, and then engage students in all of that process to make it even more powerful. So let's wrap this up. As I think about ways that we can be engaging our communities in what's happening in our schools, and as I listen to others talk about this new era of learning that we have available for students, let me encourage you to apply the possibilities of this new time into your own school leadership. You may not own a media company, but you have powerful tools every day that you can be using to talk about why your schools matter. And as public school leaders, we do not need to wait for someone's permission. We do not need someone else to discover a silver bullet for us to change the narratives about our schools. We already have access today Imagine what would happen if hundreds or thousands or millions of educators united around a commitment to talk about the great things happening in our schools. The momentum that we could build could completely change the way that people perceive our schools. So now it's your turn. What are some ways that you can begin to embed practices in your schedules for sharing about your school successes? Think of one new action that you can take this year to celebrate the good work happening in your school and then find some others who can help you reach that goal. I hope that's helpful. And if you would like to share this content with others, let me encourage you to either uh, send a link of this podcast to a friend, or if you would like to jump online and leave a comment for me, you can do so at my website at williamdparker.com, or you can share this out via Twitter at my handle at williamdp. Until next week, I hope that you continue to serve your schools with passion and purpose. And I hope that you continue to celebrate the great things happening with your students because what you do matters. I'll talk to you soon.